I speak to you in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning's gospel, the story of the Gerasene demoniac, is one of those texts that most preachers try to ignore. It's always amazing how, how preachers will suddenly develop a passion for preaching Isaiah or Galatians or anything but this story when it crops up in the gospel. Or if they really can't escape preaching the gospel lesson, lots of preachers will spend an inordinate amount of time talking about why the demons were driven off into pigs or why this is really a case of a human dissociative personality disorder or almost anything but what the story is about. I get it. You know, we don't believe in demons anymore and we don't believe that they can affect our lives. And besides, it all seems so very primitive and unscientific. Surely, surely all this man in the cemetery or all that we, for that matter, really need is good therapy. But here's the thing. Every story that the gospel writers tell has a reality about it. And we benefit from taking a hard look at that reality. So here we go. This morning we're going to talk about how we can give our lives over to possession by things that are other than God. And we're going to talk about demons. And we're going to talk about how Christ can heal the wounds caused by those things that harm us and would tear us away from God. Now, first, I'm going to start with this and surprise some of you. The rest of you, of you all, all won't be surprised at all, but I believe in the possibility of possession. There is that in this world which will take over your life, your heart, and your mind. It is something quite different from being a sociopath or a psychopath or a schizophrenic. Though it may start in the brokenness of minds and hearts that are distorted that way. But I've encountered this once or twice in my life, and it is never, ever comfortable or ignorable. It is chilling and it is frightening. And in, sh in shorthand, we refer to it as evil or the devil. I had someone tell me after the 8 o'clock service that she had never believed in any of this. When she graduated from college, she went to work in the prison system for five years. She began to understand what evil really was and what possession really was when she worked in the prison system. But we don't talk about it, and we'd like to think it's not part of our lives, but it is. And it's a whole lot more than bad choices. So far in my experience, anyway, this is not the stuff of movies with spinning heads and strange voices and levitating objects or bodies. If you think that that's what possession looks like, you've watched way too many horror movies. What is truly evil in this world does not need special effects to take over your life. It only needs your cooperation it is not going to jump out and grab you from the closet. 
you will cooperate with it. And it often starts out small, not seeming to be dangerous, but it always grows. But before we get further into that, I want to go back to the story and unpack a few of the technical pieces so that we can understand the reality of the story. And then perhaps we'll be able to see why it is so. We have a man in the cemetery who has been driven there by all that drives him and consumes him. A lot of demons, it says. Now, in the ancient world, demons, or diamones, were spiritual beings without bodies. They were not human-shaped beings with tails and horns and pitchforks. Not all diamones were evil. Some were also good. But good or evil, they all sort sought to influence human behavior and human thinking. Belief in diamones that works like that is still a part of our world. In Islam and even in some Christians, there is a pious belief that everyone has an evil demon that sits on their left shoulder and an angel that sits on their right. And for every decision and every action, they whisper in your ear, trying to get you to do it their way. And the question is always, who's going to win? In ancient Jewish understanding, the daemones were most often associated with idols and false gods, especially the idols and false gods of other religions, since worshiping those things gave the daemones the leverage they needed to pull you away from the worship of the true God and keep you from being or doing what God had created you to do. In all cases, the daemones used human narcissism our obsession with satisfying our own wants and the desires of our bodies, and our tendency to get distracted by the bright and shiny to infiltrate human lives. Now, that word infiltrate is important. It was understood to be, and it is, a stealth operation. Very few people in this world set out to be possessed by evil. There are some, and they are horrifying, but most people who are evil start with the conviction that what they are doing is really a good thing, or at least it's justified by the circumstances. They are more like Thanos in the Marvel Comics movies or the Bolsheviks in the Russian Revolution, convinced that the horror that they are bringing into the world is just and good and what the world around them needs. Now truly, a man possessed by a legion of demons in our gospel story is in a terrible, terrible state. He's living in a graveyard, he's naked, he's raving, he's injuring himself, and he's been driven out from polite society. And Jesus felt compassion for him. We should not fail to notice that compassion that those by, possessed by other gods 
should not be ignored or driven out, but neither should their possession be tolerated. As I said, this is not a, cho a case of a bad choice. They deserve our compassion and our help. What they do not deserve is our indulgence of their possession. Jesus doesn't ask the legion of demons that possess this man if they want to give up their hold on this man. They clearly don't. And he doesn't actually ask the man if he wants to give them up. He just casts them out. Gone. They have no place in the world in which Jesus is present. And this is part of how we know that this story, like the stories of all of St. Luke's gospel, is a kingdom story. It's about breaking the power of the demons to control our lives so that we can be fully citizens of the kingdom. And there's another story that comes later in chapter, Luke, uh, in, of chapter 11 of St. Luke's gospel that I, I think is actually related to this one, and it helps us understand what's really going on here. Jesus has been accused by some people of having cast out demons in the name of Beelzebul, the father or the king of demons. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically what Jesus says to them is, that's really nonsense. Why, why would the king of demons give me power to cast demons out? Besides, you also have people among you who can drive out demons. Are they working with the power of the father of demons? And he goes on to say, but if it is by the power of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God is present right here among you. You are in the presence of God right here and now. Think about that for a minute. The demons are also in the presence of God. And the demons will guard the ones they possess, and for the most part, no one can drive them out. But God is stronger than the demons, and when God comes, he takes everything that they have possessed. And look, if you aren't helping me to save those who are indwelt by demons, then you're against me, and you are on their side. Those who have been saved by possession and those who are around them should be careful that they guard themselves and provide no place for the demon to return and bring its friends. Its friends will be more awful than the first one because there is that in the world that wants to pull us away from God and it is persistent. Now both of these stories, the man in the, in the cemetery and this one are about the way that demones or demons deconstruct our lives and they make us less than human. They are also about how hard it is to break the grip that they have on our lives and about the ultimate power of Christ to actually break that grip and return us to what we were created to be. So what are we talking about here in, in Brentwood? What are, the, what are the demones that can, that can possess us? How does that happen? Well, there are the demons like the desire for money or power or sexual gratification that can take over our lives. 
and as bad and destructive as they are, they are not always the worst. There are others that are far worse, and they usually travel in a pack. Narcissism, dishonesty, resentment, bitterness, and self-pity. They work together, and they will lie to you and convince you that you are perfectly justified in your feelings and behavior. They will tell you that your self-pity really isn't self-pity, that your resentment is okay because no one has it as badly as you do, that your bitterness is a way to get back at the world for having dealt you such a lousy hand, and that it is okay to say or do whatever is necessary to get the world to see how wonderful you actually are. In my experience, in fact, those first three I named, money, power, and sexual gratification, can take over your life only to the extent that you've already given these others lodging. Now, don't kid yourself. Narcissism, dishonesty, bitterness, self-righteousness, and self-pity are dangerous. They destroy families. They, leave, they destroy communities. They're at the heart of addiction, and they will create hell for you and those around you. At their worst, at their very worst, they are at the root of what drives people to shoot up a grocery store or to drive a car through a crowd at a Christmas parade or to kill children in an elementary school. We cannot pretend that these are innocuous. Jesus did not. He cast them out. All of that is to say that in the ancient world and in ours, despite what the movies tell us, the one who is possessed is always complicit in their possession. We have a terrible, terrible tendency to invite the lesser gods, the diamones of the world, into our lives and give them pride of place and put them up on the mantle where we can see them every day. But Christ has far more grand intentions for you and for me than letting our lives be captured that way. If you insist on worshiping that which is other than God and determinedly do that which will deconstruct your humanness and deconstruct your ability to reflect the goodness of God in whose image you were created, then it is a matter of dehumanizing yourself. And that will be hell for you and those around you. The part of the story of the man living in the, in the cemetery is that Christ can and Christ will triumph over those lesser gods, no matter how many there are and no matter how dehumanized the one possessed has become. They are not allowed to remain in the presence of God. So how do we get free? Does it mean that we get to sit around and do nothing but stare at God and kind of go all religious? No. It, but it does mean this. It means that we need to be honest about our demons, about the self-pity and bitterness, resentment, dishonesty, narcissism, anger, whatever it is that's part of our lives that pulls us away from God, 
We need to name them, and we need to ask to be freed from them. And we need to repent of the allegiance we have given them and ask forgiveness from those who we hurt when under their influence. We need to turn our hearts and thoughts to God and the things that we know that God wants for us and from us whenever we are tempted to invite them back in we must first ask help in closing the door. Now, years ago, I had a pastor who used to talk to people about it this way when they were worried about how they ended up giving their hearts and minds to the wrong thing, and he would put it like this. You cannot be always responsible for the thoughts that show up standing on the stoop at the front door of your mind. Some of them will be good and some of them will be bad. But if they knock on your door and you invite the bad ones in and give them pie and coffee and show them with into the spare room and then get up the next morning and fix them breakfast, that's on you. As you say confession this morning, and you say the words, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Think about who or what in your heart of hearts you fixed breakfast for this morning. And then, as Christ feeds you with his body and his blood, ask him to clean out that spare room and take it over so that you can be restored and those parts of your humanness that have been deconstructed and broken can finally be healed. Because in the presence of Christ, no demons are alive. Amen.